right. Welcome to the Healing Movement Podcast. Hi, my name is Dr. Grove Higgins, your host in these discussions on optimal performance, healing, and thoughts on living the good life. Let me introduce you to my partners in crime. First off, Coach Marquez. Hey, everyone. And Dr. Trent Claypool. Hello. We're part of the Neuroathlete Clinic located up here in Monument, Colorado. Today, we are joined by our very first special guest on the podcast, Nadine Dubina. Nadine, welcome to the Healing Movement Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming up, especially on this snowy day. Ah, so uh, today we're going to get on, uh, on to uh, uh, Nadine here shortly and let you learn a little bit about her and what she does. But first, since uh, this will be our last podcast for the year of 2020, uh, I wanted to take the opportunity to talk about a couple of things. Uh, today, uh, after we talk about Nadine and a little bit about her work with the U.S. Olympics and U.S. Paralympics, uh, we're going to get into something fun, uh, especially due to COVID. I think we all need a little lightheartedness. So today we're going to talk about our best Christmas and holiday gifts and thinking about New Year's resolutions. So diving in, since uh, this is our first guest, Nadine Dubina, Dubina, excuse me, I apologize. Uh, Nadine is uh, a a coach developer at the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Uh, There she helps to develop the standards and programs that are used to educate high-level coaches using USOPC, which we'll find out about, uh, quality coaching framework, and adult learning theory and experiential learning. Uh, She also works on uh, one-on-one with coaches on their personal formation for the Team USA. So again, welcome, and this is great to have you. Um, Let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got started with the Olympics? Yeah, so um, I am just plain girl from Pittsburgh, um, PA, and did uh, was it was a competitive gymnast growing up, so that was kind of my sport experience. And similarly to a lot of coaches, uh, how they get their start in the field, I tore my ACL, um, and that naturally was kind of the end of one chapter and then the beginning of the next one. So transitioned in coaching then, I wasn't quite done with the sport, and have kind of grown grown since then. So I decided to go to West Virginia University for an undergrad in coaching education, and there I got a great experience of working with the Division I women's gymnastics team. I was their team manager and really thought I wanted to be a college coach um, until I got to see a bit of the behind the scenes and decided at that point in time for me, I wanted to to pursue a different path because the politics weren't something that I was necessarily ready for. Um, And so went on, got my master's in sports psychology, and it was really during this time that I saw that my impact on athletes across their life is great, but if I was able to help other coaches answer some of the questions that I had, then I was gonna be able to have more influence than just me one-on-one. Um, so decided to take a, a bit more of a pro- global approach to helping coaches answer questions that they had to help them get better. And that's what brought me to the Olympic Committee and the coaching department um, was really that skill set. Gotcha. So almost like you're trying to help build the foundations that all these athletes get to do their thing, Ellen. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, and how long have you been doing that for now? I've been with the, with the organization for six years. Gotcha. Yeah. So what is it that you're exactly doing? Uh, you work with coaches and helping to build them up to be world-class USA team level coaches. How do you do that? 
Yeah, so uh, we basically work in three ways. Um, so the first way is, the first arm is through education. So we do different types of programming, bring coaches in um, for multi-day programs. We do virtual programs, and this is on helping to raise awareness and basic skills when it comes to interpersonal skills, so connection, communication, and then intrapersonal. So how does the coach continuously improve and get better in the areas that they see fit? And um, we also help them become better teachers um, of their craft, of their sports. What we typically stay away from is the sport technical tactical side. So all the NGBs do a great job at that. So we let them do their part and then we try to fill in the gaps. Um, so that's first part, education. And then the second part, which I am really excited about, um, it's been a new kind of development for us. It's in this development space. And it's really going, we give coaches to our best athletes in the world. We would never send our top athlete to a competition or to a training block or a training camp without a coach to guide them to reach their potential. Yet, as coaches, we're expected to sometimes know it all and to do it all on our own. And so what we're really trying to do is to help support the coaches in their journey of learning and behavior change because we know that it's not let me give you this information and you're automatically going to change. It just doesn't work that way. So we are really now going and meeting the coaches where they are in their practice environments, in their homes, um, with their teams to understand their context and help them implement the different um, skills, different um, ways of thinking, things that they're working on to facilitate that change. Sure, so they're probably fantastic at their individual you know, sport, their individual strategic and tactic, tactics that they use, um, but you're trying to help raise their ability to actually work with athletes and raise the athlete's personal achievement, or how, how does that look? Yeah, so I would say it's even, we kind of take one, one step back from that again, like, we always go to the athletes because that's who we're giving to, but we're really focusing on that coach. So sometimes it looks like having them identify their values and philosophy and then continuing to check in to make sure that they are living in alignment to that and not away from that. Sometimes it is, I mean, we all know that some of the biggest problems don't come from what what type of play they're running on the field. It comes from they have to have a hard conversation and they don't quite know how to prepare for it. So we help coach them through those scenarios. Um, it might be that that you know every year is a new team for a lot of people. Whenever they get on, one new athlete changes a team. And so it's helping to set standards and maintain standards and work around culture. We don't use the word culture anymore because we have found that, that it it helps, it makes people kind of back away from you pretty quickly. Um, but it's really about setting, setting intentions and having coaches make sure that they're living up to what they, who they want to be showing up for, for the athletes in a way that is the best version of themselves, which then allows the athletes, gives them permission to do the same. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, fantastic. So uh, how, how are you achieving that work now? I mean, you're not able to do the big workshops, obviously, and I know that was a, a famous thing that was done down at the USOC, but now that's uh, the group stuff isn't happening. Um, how are you doing your work these days? Yeah, so the model's flipped on its head, right? So we are doing a good amount of virtual experiences, um, so very similar to the rest of the world right now. It is definitely more challenging, um, but we're doing personal one-on-one -on -one calls. Um, we're doing the Zoom sessions. We're doing multi-week programs, which we actually have found um, there, there's a lot of benefit to that. You know, 
before we'd have them come in for three days and you know you're kind of drinking from a fire hose but now we actually get to space out the learning a bit more over four or five weeks and it allows the coaches to be able to sit with that um, a little bit longer and really kind of play with it um, before you move on to the next thing um, so so yeah personal calls group calls educational type of webinars week-long programs um, it's kind of all across the the gamut Gotcha. Your, your job was pretty personal before. Do you think that this has uh, increased your amount of attention and personal contact with individuals? Yes and no, right? So so it's hard. All of our sports are in different places. So if for the sports that are traveling, it has been way harder to stay in contact with them simply from the extra responsibilities that they have with all the different protocols in place and whatnot. Um, so with those coaches, it's removed us a little bit more. But with the coaches who are at home, it has it has increased our relationships with them simply because there is more time to connect because they aren't off doing their seasons and kind of all over the place traveling. So yeah, it's both both sides. And I also want to say, I also didn't name the third part that we do. Um, and I know that will bother people. <laughs> so the third part is that we do recognition. And so a lot of our, um, our work is around hunting the good stuff and making sure that coaches are, know that their impact is valuable and that we recognize that because again, it's, it is about the athletes. But our contributions, you know, it's also important to recognize those as coaches as well. Yeah, yeah. How do you find these coaches? Yeah, so that's a good that's a good point. Um, and I would say that we don't necessarily seek them out. We have created really good partnerships with the NGBs, and we go to them and we say, hey. Here's our, here's our programming, here's the type of coach that we're looking for, who do you support? Who would you wanna put forward here? Um, a unique thing about our programs is that we very rarely do one sport programs. So they are bringing coaches from all different sports, summer, winter, Paralympics, all together to learn in the same space. That's massively um, important and it's been really beneficial for the coaches. But we don't, we don't require anyone to, to work with us or to do our programs. Um, so it's really the national governing body identifying coaches that um, they think are important to their system and then asking them if they would like to take part and they get to choose. Good. So this is, you know, like you said, everything's on its head now. How are the coaches and the athletes working these days? Right? They're not able to train exactly the way that they were doing it before. It's not as easy, at least. Um, and the athletes aren't able to compete. So there's a different change in mindset and mentality, which I'm sure you're helping the coaches to help to deal with right now. What's changed and how are you guys dealing with it? Yeah, so I would say that biggest thing that has changed is the un it's it's now all unknown right there aren't there isn't anything that that our athletes and our coaches can hold on to anymore it's constantly changing um, you have a plan and then that plan goes out the window the next day um, and there's a lot going on in the world as well. So before we were, you know, kind of stuck in our sport bubble of, you know, everything outside of life is pretty normal. We got that down. And now we're having to process life 
and sport, and none of it makes sense. Um, so there's a lot of burnout going on. There's a lot of highly stressed coaches and athletes. Um, it's really hard to know what you're working for. So having that that purpose and, and passion can can waver. Um, so yeah, it's in. It's, it's it's what we're all experiencing, right? I don't think that I don't think that athletes and coaches are any different than than everybody else in the world um, when it comes to experiencing these things. So it's really just for me, it's it's helping them to recognize and name things and allow that to move through, process things, um, accept that this is how it's going to be, rather than going back to I can't wait to get back to the old normal. That's that's no longer what's ahead of us. Um, so it's really kind of this acceptance of where we are and what is the next best step that we can do to help us in this moment rather than looking towards the Olympics or where the next competition is gonna come. Um, it's, it's kind of being here and doing the best that we can while we're in these scenarios. Got it, yeah, no, that's very important. Yeah, Coach. You know, that makes me wonder about something, both on the coach and the athlete side. It'd be interesting to see as we roll through the rest of, you know, this year and into next year and all the craziness with COVID on the coaches and the athletes that that kind of like float to the top in a sense from a from the aspect of resiliency, because they were more able to deal with the unknown than other coaches and athletes, especially in like you know, sports that are super Olympic focused, right? Gymnastics, wrestling, ice skating, right? That, you know, things that that is your culmination. You have a four-year cycle, right? So you, I mean, those coaches plan eight, 12 years out with some athletes. And so this is, you know, their ability to, to absorb the unknown and be able to deal with that will be interesting. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point. It just jogged my memory on something. Um, we we always look at, you know, if you look at the podium, right? It's it's not necessarily about the person who has the best genetics. They they've all got the same, pretty much very similar genetics at that point in time. Um, they have all got similar bodies and energy pathways and systems. And so one of the things that we have realized that is a separator is people's ability to learn who can learn the quickest? And I think it kind of goes into this resilience piece of who is learning in this time and adapting and being able to move with their environment rather than resisting against it. Um, I know that there's a lot of comparison out there, right? Like Europe and some of the Asian countries, they, they're back to full training. They've been training for a while and we're still in a very limited training capacity way. But if you always focus on the outside and not what you can do every day, then we're already setting ourselves up for failure. So, so yeah, this learning component, I think, is going to be a massive factor um, over the next year. Yeah, I did just kind of piggybacking off that. One of the things that's really interesting, and it, it kind of links into something we were talking about earlier, is that there's a, a bit of a differentiation between um, learning and adapting and being flexible and open and curious about what's coming, which which I would argue is the stance that's going to get people through really well, versus what a lot of people associate as resiliency as is toughness and pushing through which, you know, is a very rigid focus and way to go through this. And, and I would predict those people aren't going to do as well as the people who are, who are open to learning. And it, it does give a model of, of performance excellence that's, that's grounded in, in more factors than just, just how bad somebody wants something. 
Yeah. So last question for you. How can we as the public, you know, non-athlete, non-Olympic athletes, how can we support the athletes? How can we support the coaches and through your mission and such like that um, during this time? And, you know, get us prepared so that way when, you know, the shackles are off and we can get back to training and everything, we can do it in the best way possible. Yeah. Look at your athletes as people. Don't just value them based on their involvement with sport. That adds more pressure and it, it just creates this cycle of value and worth coming from participation rather than just being, being who they are. So love your athletes for who they are um, and support them in their goals and endeavors in sports, but it shouldn't be the opposite way around. Gotcha. And then hopefully you can shoot me a link or two that we can put along here because I know the U.S. Olympics are, are needing funding. The different uh, NGBs uh, are, are hurting right now because they based a lot of their income off from memberships and, and, uh, and competition and, and things like that. And so uh, having that support so that way they're still around when it's time. Yeah, and we, I will, I will send over a link. We do have a COVID-19 um, relief assistant fund for the athletes. So we're giving out scholarships and grants to those athletes to continue to train during this time. Yeah, and most athletes are starving students exactly. for the most part. So yeah, yes. <laughs> right. Right. All right. So uh, thank you very much. That, that, that's awesome. Uh, but now I'd love to move on to a different uh, discussion here. So obviously this year is different for all of us, right? One thing that has not changed is I am still not prepared for the holidays, right? I haven't gotten my gifts together. Uh, and so my friends and loved ones, um, you guys sitting here, uh, be prepared for not much, uh, at least at this point. I'm trying, I'm trying. So uh, I'm going to solicit all of you guys' help uh, and help me get the juices flowing, um, and I'm going to thank you in advance. But instead of asking you for what you're getting and potentially divulging a secret, uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to try to hard, uh, hard to help you guys keep that big day secret. Um, what I want to ask you is this, all right? And I don't care who starts it. Um, actually, we're going to start with you, Nadine. Okay. All right. Um, what is the best gift that anyone's ever gotten you? It might not be the best. You might have gotten lots of great gifts, but what's what's one of the best gifts you've ever gotten, and why is that gift so great? Yeah. So thinking about this. Um, my love language is quality time. And so one of the best gifts that, that my family as a whole has gotten me was that instead of buying me a gift a couple years ago, they know how much I enjoy playing card games. So we took time on Christmas Eve to actually play rummy and spend it an hour-ish just together enjoying each other's company and time, which usually doesn't happen during the holidays. It's usually rushing around. So for me, it was the gift of time playing a game. Excellent. Excellent. I just discovered a new card game called Dutch Blitz. Yes, it's fantastic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I suck at it, but that's okay. All right. Doctor, coach. Yeah. So, um, I, in my memory, it came at Christmas, but I know when my mom hears this, she might be like, we got that for your birthday, but for this story, it's, it's a Christmas gift. Um, I, would, I was thinking about it, and I'd have to say my mountain bike, and um, it was my very first mountain bike, this little, little pink and purple specialized bike that I totally rocked as like a 10-year-old, and um, 
here, here's what was great about it, right? Is like that unlocked the outdoors. It unlocked more trail time, which I absolutely, you know, if you know me for more than like 30 seconds, you know, it's like, you know, I just stare at Mount Hermon all day so I can go run as soon as I get out of here, right? Like, um, so it, it unlocked this this vast trail system to me for the very first time. And then we did this thing, these things as a family. So when we'd go on swim trips, we'd all bring our bikes and then we'd go into the mountains and go, go mountain biking afterwards. So I think the, it is a thing, but it unlocked this whole world of experiences and values and connection with nature that, that really became important to me. And it has, um, you know, the way I live my life now, that's like one of my primary things that I find so sacred. So, so it would have to be the mountain bike. Awesome. The gift that's keep, it keeps on giving even to this day. All yes. right. All right, coach. So those are two very inspirational stories. Mine is less so. <laughs> my favorite Christmas gift was a shotgun that I got in high school. And, uh, it, and I think the, the, the reason for that was because I, uh, I felt like my dad actually trusted me now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that I, that I, could, I could own and operate a gun. That was my first firearm. If you don't know me, I was in the Army for 20 years. So that was a... That was a, a rite of passage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yep. good then. That's a good one. Um, all right. And real quickly, favorite gift that you've ever given... So I can... Yeah, go for it. This one's easy for me, and Doc, you know this story. So about four or five years ago, my, my, my twin daughters are 13. They were about nine then, and, um, and there was this toy called a Hatchimal, and it was like an egg. And when you open the box, a tab got pulled out of it, and then over a period of their time, and it was a random period of time, you would have to coo the egg and hold it and rock it and things like that, and eventually it broke open in this little fuzzy animal came out and one of my daughters wanted, a, wanted it so bad and it was like the it comes from a small toy company in Canada <laughs> so they were impossible to find and so for three or four weeks I was sitting at Target at 5 a.m. in line in the snow <laughs> waiting for them to open the doors right and then uh, so but that was going on day after day until I finally Got one, and she played for it for 15 minutes. Yep. And now, and, and now you can find them on the shelves everywhere, and right. they yeah. seem to be on sale, right, all the time. So, all right. So I will say that I give this gift to my family every year. I've not lived at home for 10 years, so every time I come home for Christmas, I say that I am their gift. They don't always love that. Um, That's a good one. But I would say that my, my favorite gift is um, I have three nieces, and so whenever I travel to all different parts of the world, I try to pick up a book from that place, and I bring it back um, and kind of, kind of hold those until the end of the year and then give, gift them these experiences of the places that I've been, and then we can read through them and explore different, different parts of the world together. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, this one's a, a little bit harder for me. I do... I do think I've gotten my, my daughter some cool things. She's a, a very artistic kid, so she, she likes the, you know, this year. She won't listen to the podcast at six, so I can give her gifts away. Um, she, she loves these paint-by-sticker books for kids. I don't know if people have seen these, but they are the coolest things ever. So I, I literally have, like, 15 of those being delivered. <laughs> you know, she's just going to slowly get them over the year. Um, and it was also making me think one of my favorite experiences at Christmas is that um, my mom will usually take my daughter into Target and she'll just say, Peyton, pick anything in the world that reminds you of your dad. And so the, just this, 
it's a gift for me, but it's this interesting process of like the whole family working together on something for the gift to come. And I was just thinking about like, like how special that moment is with my, my kiddo too, and how much I'm going to enjoy probably standing in lines, um, you know, at for, oh, I don't know, maybe with Amazon, that won't be a thing anymore, but you know what, maybe I should just go have that, that, um, experience as a father just to, to feel like it's earned. Co- yeah. Co- coach, coach is a little old fashioned. He likes standing in lines. So, <laughs> <clears throat> No, now now Amazon's changed the whole gift getting uh, 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 way of doing things. So, so uh, moving moving on, last uh, last topic, and this is more on the tips and tricks end of things. We always like to end things with some practical advice uh, and and ideas on how to 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 perform and and do stuff better. Um, so this last topic of the year, uh, you know, we're moving into the New Year's, and so guess what? People are planning or are thinking about planning. A New Year's resolution. Um, so I have a, a room full of considerable experienced experts here and uh, that help people set goals and obtain them all the time. I thought this would be a great opportunity to help people uh, start thinking about preparing to set a New Year's resolution and ideas of how to set yourself up for success. So if you had to give one or two um, things that you work with uh, in, in helping your coaches or your athletes or patients um, set goals to set uh, change behaviors to be successful in attaining those things. What would those be if you had to give somebody right now, especially if they haven't been thinking about it yet, but they know they want something? What would that one or two things be? Go for it. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say start with why. So uh, if you haven't seen the TED Talk, watch Simon Sinek's TED Talk. Um, but I think that looking at what goal you want to do and asking yourself, why do I actually want this? Exploring what the motivations are, what the intention is, where's that coming from? Is it coming from an external motivation or an internal one? Um, Starting there, I think is the most important uh, because then you can reconnect with that intention. And if it doesn't fit with who you are and you're trying to prove something or get something so that you get outside recognition, that is going to, to fall off way faster than if you set something because it's what you believe in and what you want for yourself. Um, you can you can reconnect with that every day um, for whenever that motivation is kind of going out the window. So that's my first thing. Start with why. Yeah, I'll I'll build off of that. I I um, think of Viktor Frankl a lot in these moments and 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 the the power of purpose and meaning, right? And so so things that don't have that um, quickly do fall off. And, and one of the things I'd also say is that things that are externally motivated tend to be pretty unsatisfying even if we do achieve them. Um, so, so building off that, one of the things I would say is you, you have to openly and honestly and with curiosity explore that space, you know, when you have that process of why is this something that I'm pursuing. And so if you're able to do that, and let's say you're able to come to a good, like, let's say you're like, yeah, I, internally I'm motivated. This is something that would really be good for me. I'm doing it for the right reasons. So then my thought is the next step becomes how do you form, format what that goal looks like? And I'm a big fan of, like, giving yourself a couple of outcome goals, but then also making some process goals. Like, how am I going to go about achieving these things? And then I think outcome goals should be written in ways that are flexible so that we don't have this super rigid adherence that's the only way we can be successful. Um, And I also, just because we're talking about New Year's resolutions, I don't endorse any goal that has to do with aesthetics, like on on how we look or or how much we should weigh or things like that. I much prefer goals that are about function, performance, 
internally wanting to feel healthy, those sort of things. Turning a new leaf. Yes. Yeah, got it. Yeah, the thing that I would add to all that is that, um, is in a sense starting small, right? Because whenever you, you know, you've got some gigantic, like, and it's good to have audacious, you know, like, wow, that's a, you know, that's a great goal, but it, and something really big and you really want to make this big change in your life, whatever it is, is good. Um, but you've got to break that down into bite-sized chunks and you, and you actually have to do it because one of the biggest hindrances to behavioral change that we see is that it, it becomes then so hard that they either never get start, actually started or they're e- easily disappointed in, in themselves and things like that. So making things, you know, you, the small steps, once you've got that first small step into it, then you can take the next step. And obviously a lot of times you need help from people coaching you on what those things should be and stuff like that. But it's about getting a win, really. And, and, and if you have a gigantic goal that's something that you want to be doing that you're not doing now, then there's a reason you're not doing it now. So you've got to br- bring that back to a, a, a winnable situation, right? So small wins first. Gotcha. Gotcha. It reminds me of the Japanese concept of Kaizen, which is small movements, right, yeah. over time, right? Win after win after win. Yeah. Um, I was just going to add that uh, probably one of the most important things of being successful and being gritty, like like learning how to show up and do it time and time again, even when you don't want to, is you do have to have a plan for what am I going to do on those days when this is the absolute last thing that I want to do. You know, like, and it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily do it every day that you feel that way, but you better have a plan on how you're going uh, going to address the days where you're not motivated, because the real work comes is when it's not easy, how do I still show up to that space? And so I think, yes, having the goal that's big enough to scare you is is really cool, but then how do you make your day-to-day steps things that are approachable? So, And to bring this full circle and put a period on it, (laughs) get a coach. So I think that we all deserve coaches. Um, we all, we're not meant to do this alone. Uh, we're meant to do this with others and in community and with connection. Um, so I will just, I'll bring that full circle to coaching matters. Yes. Keep, keep, you, keep you grounded and keep you accountable, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're at the end of this, uh, this podcast. Um, and this was a fun discussion today. So uh, thank you all very much. Um, I hope it was enjoyable for all of you and, and help you get into the spirit. Um, and just give you some uh, something new to think about. Um, thank you to our, our guest, Nadine, uh, for joining us today very much. Um, we'll see, uh, hopefully we'll see you in the new year, but we'll see everybody in the new year or you'll, we'll hear you in the new year. And praying that uh, 21, 2021 will be better than 2020 was. Um, and we'll all work together to try to make that happen. So thanks for joining us on the Healing Movement Podcast. My name is Dr. Grove Higgins, your host, discussing optimal performance, healing, and thoughts on living the good life. Uh, happy holidays to everyone and good health to you all. Mm-hmm.